What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it, of course. Right now, open a new CQ checking account and we'll give you $250 to spend however you like. Upgrade those headphones, splurge on concert tickets, or maybe upgrade to ad-free streaming. The choice is yours. And extra cash isn't all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. All with CQ. Visit CQMD.org today. That's S-E-C-U-M-D.org today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the UAP Senate hearing number two. I am so excited, Jimmy. How are you feeling for today? I'm feeling pretty dang good considering it's 7.15 a.m., you know, hey, this is this is a really big day, Christina. So this is a really big day. Are you? It's it's such a big day that both of us have popcorn prepped, and I feel like we're those game radio radio show hosts that are like watching a sports game and then like comment commenting on it. That's kind of how I feel. But there, this is a this is a a monumental time in history when it comes to the UAP topic. And to get a second hearing, which the first one that we received was last year, um, I feel like it's way overdue. And yet I cannot wait to see what's in store. I didn't expect it to happen. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I can, I, I heard rumors about a week ago saying, oh, yeah, we're going to get a hearing. And I said, really? You know, I, I don't I don't really believe it. And I won't believe it until I see it. Then I saw the article for it and I said, oh, my goodness, this is big news. Yeah, yeah, it's historic. And uh, I mean, just to put it into context for everybody, I know that we mentioned this a lot, but it, it, it just needs to uh, be repeated. Um, this hasn't happened for 50 years. That's right. And so last summer, May of 2022, we had the first hearing in 50 years. Now to have two back to back, um, I think that this one came up faster. I agree with you. Um, I didn't think it would uh, come up this quick. Uh, the first one, um, as everybody knows, that was with the House, um, with a subcommittee, and uh, Andre Carson and I. I dug that hearing, and I know that a lot of people wanted to say that it was a big nothing. But no. No, there was a lot there, um, and if you just uh, just took the time, not only to hear what was being said, but the body language too as well. It was very, very interesting. And this time around, it's the Senate. So, uh, and uh, Senator Kirsten uh, Gillibrand, 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 tomato, tomato. Um, I'm going with Gillibrand, by the way. Um, but I don't know. What's the correct pronunciation? I believe it's Gillibrand. Now, okay. for those that are a little bit confused about this hearing, it's to receive testimony on the mission, activities, oversight, and budget of the overall um, of the all domain anomaly resolution office, which is Arrow. So that's what the conversation is going to be about today. And when we looked at last year's hearing with Representative Gallagher. And then you have uh, you had a Krishna Murthy uh, question Scott Bray and Ronald Moultrie on crash retrievals, military firing upon UAP, the Wilson Davis demo, underwater UAP communication attempts, and then even the 1967 Maelstrom event. There were a lot of hot potatoes in the last hearing. 
Yeah, for sure. So we're going to see how this one goes. It's a little bit more focused. Again, it's going to look on the mission activities and oversight along with the budget as well, which Kristen Gillibrand was really pushing for a few weeks back when she almost placed the DOD in a corner stating, where is the budgeting? They are not getting enough and we need more in order to do better work. And I think that maybe if Representative Gillibrand didn't do that, we might not have received this hearing so early on in the year. Yeah, and and you're right. This is about money. It's always about money. Always. Right? And so, so they need funding. And in order to get the funding, Arrow has got to present the case of what is going on and what they need the money for. And all of that is is going to come out today. So now, are we going to have disclosure? Are they going to go straight at ET? Is that uh, it has to be discussed at some point? And we're all on pins and needles with that, right? We want to see how far they want to take this. Yeah. Um, and and so there's that side of it. But you have to, in order uh, to get the money. You have to convince those that have the power of, of appropriations and, and money uh, to convince them that this is a, a, a big deal, not only uh, to the American people, but to the world. Now, are they going to, are they going to play the fear card, right? Are they, are they going to go there? We also have the situation of, you know, missiles being fired over North America um, at objects. And, and that, that can't be ignored as, as well. And will they go there and try to uh, get more disclosure on why they were firing the missiles and what they were firing them at? Um, so, yeah, yeah, this is going to be a great day. Um, I, have, I have my popcorn. This is... Uh, a necessity. I have uh, Christina. I'm not playing around. I've got my French press with a gallon of River Moon coffee in it. I have my Tahoe white chocolate macadamia cookies. You got to have, you know, salty and sugar. You got to go back. This is this is under. And just for backup, I've got extra cheesy Cheez Its uh, right here. So I'm good to go. Uh, this is going to be prepared. So we um, uh, we are going to be able, along with everybody else, I've got your comments uh, flashing in front of me. I can certainly answer questions. So can Christina. Uh, we're going to be watching this live along with you. We're going to – so we're going to be here like the Brady Bunch, right? So we're going to be down here in the corners. Christina is – so I get to do the – no, yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, so we get to do this. But the the hearing itself is going to be playing above, uh, so I, I, you get to get my reaction. What? So it, and, it's, it's going to be this. Great. This stream is coming directly from the United States Senate Committee on Armed Forces, and so they haven't gone live yet. So we are waiting on them. This is nothing new. With the last hearing, they were at least like twenty minutes late. I, I expect the same for this one as well. They're never on time. But while we wait, Jeremy, thank you so much for the super sticker. Cam Fuzzy as well. Hearing is awesome. However, 20 years of following this topic has me very cynical regarding what will come of it. And I think we need to look at the bigger picture here. While yeah. 
for many, when it came to the last hearing, it was a real, for many, it was a real nothing burger. They didn't really cover anything. And all that Moultrie and Bray could say was, we're going to have another hearing behind closed doors and we're going to answer those questions. It was devastating for the public. But the uh, good. And let me, let me comment on that. The, the, very, uh, the other uh, two days ago, I had Ron James on the show and he has been spending a lot of time in Washington, D.C. And, and in meeting with elected officials about this subject. And this is what he said about the classified hearing, a portion of today's hearing. He said it was going to happen before. And, and then the public hearing was going to be after. And, that, and I, I kind of liked that format in that they get to what, right? They get to hear the big stuff and then come out and start asking questions for the public instead of having it the opposite. That's not but, a bad idea. Except the hearing is starting at 7.15, which is 10.15 East Coast time. Did they already have the classified hearing at 7 a.m.? Um, and, and then rolling into this portion? Are they still, is that why we're delayed right now, right? Are, are they coming in from the classified hearing, uh, which ran long? I, I, I don't know. And we'll find out. Oh, uh, one other comment, and I'm sorry that I jumped in. We don't know a whole lot about today. You know, we know Sean Kirkpatrick is going to do a presentation on, on behalf of Arrow, but what witnesses, who, who is going to answer questions? We don't have those names. We don't have a list. Um, so there is a lot of mystery behind today's hearing. What does, yeah, what does Gillibrand have planned uh, for everybody? You just don't go into this willy-nilly. Um, and I think that the House version of it, they tried to be prepared. It was Bray and Moultrie that wasn't prepared. And and uh, that whole video fiasco yeah. was was devastating hopefully they will be prepared this year like you had mentioned they had last year to prep really and kind of get a feel for it we'll see how this one goes hopefully it'll be more enticing than last year for those that thought that last year wasn't a good show and it just again it really just depends on the viewpoint that you're looking uh, at with with what kind of lens because if you're an average person that's decently interested in the topic you're like oh my god they didn't use the word aliens you know or anything extraterrestrial right they, they didn't use those hot words but we need to look at it from a military and government perspective but they need to be very careful with the words used and if anything you're you're pretty aware with the the words that they're going to use and you can read into those yeah, I think well, is pretty important. So with this one, I think for those that have seen the previous hearing, those that are going to be watching this live with us, they might get a better understanding of, okay, they said this, it might actually mean this, right. because you, you already have that primer, you already have that foundation. Well, if you remember, and by the way, is Puck still in bed? What, what, what's up? He didn't get up early? Puck is right here. Okay, just making sure that uh, Puck... Puck is is up. He doesn't get to sleep in. If the grown-ups have to get up, you get up too. You know what That's your true. parents did to you? Yeah, there was no sleeping in. <laughs> I remember that. That yeah. was painful times. Um, is is this with if we look back, those hot words that you're talking about, 
if we go back and and we look at uh, some of the comments that were coming from the representatives, they were making sure that Bray and Moultrie knew that this was a UFO hearing. And if you remember, Representative Welsh, one of the highlights of uh, for me for the entire hearing was when Welsh uh, Welsh said, "Hey, uh, 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 what about ET?" That's what this hearing is about. What's, what are we being visited? And and Bray goes, uh, or it was Moultrie or Bray. We'll talk about that in the classified briefing this afternoon. And Welsh comes back with, so we're going to talk about aliens later on this afternoon, right? We're going to be talking about that. And I thought, man, that, you know, getting this back on track because Bray and Moultrie wanted to make this a Chinese thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they were skirting around the topic. They wanted to make it a Russian thing. They wanted to make it an adversarial thing. And uh, Welsh got that all back uh, centered and, and said, uh, this hearing is about E.T. Are we being visited right now? And I remember when he pointed, he pointed out, he's like, man, that's what we're talking about this. You know, and it, it was great. So let's see if we get some moments like that today. I sure do hope so. I, I was really, really pleased with Gallagher being decently knowledgeable on the topic to ask some really hardball questions. He was the star of the hearing last year. I am. It would be nice to see him again. Maybe he'll ask some more hardball questions because he asked about the Maelstrom Air Force Base incident that took place in, the 19, in 1967. And Bray and Meltry were like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's one of the biggest, <laughs> it's one of the biggest stories when it comes to the military of all time. That's, and for them to say, uh, 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 I right, don't know. Right. It's like, Christina, uh, give me a break. That's a great point, except this time he's going to be sitting in the audience. This is a Senate hearing. This isn't the house. So, so he'll be there, but he won't be there. If you remember Tim Burchett, who was all pissed off, right, at the end oh, of the yeah. hearing. Arr! And, but he, Burchett wasn't a part of the subcommittee. So he was an audience member uh, during the last hearing. And so that's a great point. Is Gallagher, you know, Andre Carson, you know, Welsh, uh, Burchett, are they going to be sitting in the audience um, this morning uh, for this as guests? And I hope that they are. I, I, I really do. They, they should bring, they should bring Gallagher up and question oh, yeah. him. He'd, he'd, be, he'd be great. Um, but anyway, yes. So they're going to be the audience. They're going to be in. I, I hope that they are. Um, and we'll see. I, I uh, Also, the video production, um, usually with the House and the Senate, you've got static cameras. But sometimes, you know, that don't move, right? Like this camera here. And we're going to have that. But they also have roaming cameras. And will they show shots of uh, those that are attending? And, and will we get a glimpse of Burchette and, and Andre Carson and, and Gallagher and, and Welsh and, and the rest of the crew? Well, we'll see. I, I, am, I am pretty excited for this hearing. And, of course, they're late. I expect nothing less from them. But... Wait, let, let me ask you this, Jimmy. Let me ask you and ask everyone in the live chat that's watching this live with us, which is 300 people. Thank you so much, everyone that's watching. What are you hoping to see that's kind of in the means of it being reasonable? 
or yeah, what are you expecting or what are you hoping for? for this? Uh, we win if, if it goes this far. Okay. And it's, it's actually more simple uh, in, in my opinion, but we win if Kirkpatrick goes, some of these are not from earth. Right. And, 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 and that's it. We don't know what's going on, but we know it doesn't come from here. So we need to get the science and the budgeting together to find out the who, what, where, and when. And if, 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 you know, without saying alien, little green men, you know, Mars and, and all of that stuff, w without going there, he doesn't have to say ET, the extraterrestrial. But if he, if he takes it that far, it's a huge thing. And they've, they've taken that, you know, you know what I mean, Christina? They've walked up to the edge of the cliff, they've taken a peek. They've almost gone there. The, the first report that came in from ATIP or uh, the UFO, uh, what do they call that? The, the UAP task force. That report had the other bin, right? Remember that? Yes, I and, do. Right. And so if, if Sean Kirkpatrick goes that far, where, okay, we've got this, we can identify this, we've got this, we can identify that, we, we've got this. But the reason for this office is we've got things that are doing strange stuff, and it's not ours. It's not from here. And that's what we need money for. And man, that'll be a huge moment. It definitely will. And people are also vocalizing what they want to hear. Jacob, thank you so much for the super chat and Cam Fuzzy as well. But there are some people stating, and I'm, I'm trying to find the exact comment. It's moving pretty fast now. But there was one that, oh, here it is, by 1971, catching Kirkpatrick in a lie. And there are a few others. Dave says anything, but probably mostly breadcrumbs. Dan says something within a hundred kilometers of the truth, which is going to be that's, that's awesome. interesting. <laughs> Love Dan James. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even Alien Girl, hey, Amy, uh, I wanted to confirm that Gimbal and Go Fast are okay. That'll be interesting to see their their what they could say to that if they are going to comment on something right. like that. Right. So that'll be that'll be very very cool. And yeah, will hey. they? Okay, uh, I keep going with. Uh, is that Lulu? Yeah, it is. Lulu. Lulu in the house. I still owe him a t-shirt. Oh, look at what I got on. I wore my Sammy Hagar shirt today that I got in Mexico last week. That's oh, how nice. special this day is. I got dressed up with the rock and roll. That's right. Um, Lulu in the house. That's very, very, very cool. Keep the comments uh, uh, coming here, uh, Christine. Conscious Criminal says, press them on Maelstrom slash nuclear interest of these objects. Ah, I think that's a very hot topic. Yeah, and and what they tried in the last hearing, they tried to show stuff, right? They blew it. Yeah, attempted, attempted. They, they attempted. It was, you know, that 15 minutes of downtime when they were trying to find the rewind button, they couldn't figure out how to hit pause. That was tense. That was tense. And, and it, hear, it was, no, Jimmy, it was almost to the point that it was staged. It, it was, was that bad. I, I remember, uh, I think it was uh, Andre Carson. I could be wrong. But uh, what, 
What are we looking at? <laughs> what, 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 what are we looking at? That was great. But are we going to see a presentation of some evidence? Are we going to see some images today that we haven't seen before? What is Arrow looking at? What are the new cases that have come in that they're trying to figure out? That's how you get money. Right. right. Show a video of some crazy, you know, something that is going to make everybody go, oh, yeah, people would fund that. People yeah, be like, right. I'll pay my taxes for yeah, that, which right. they were just due, by the way. Checkbook is out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm being serious. So what is it that uh, that they may present as as evidence and nothing speaks louder right than images and video and and maybe you know bring up a, a pilot or two or or somebody from the military that's a witness right. where where are those witness hearings that were rumored around that we were supposed to get we haven't gotten those those were rumored to be to happen in december of last year and i'm like yeah whatever i doubt it at this point when that was happening during december and we're we're in april now feels like we're in, i don't know summer but I'm thinking, are we even ever going to get witness hearings? Because that will be a total game changer. Then you have Hyde, who's stating no harmful effects ever recorded by the government. Cough, cough, cash, landrum, which we covered right here on the show. And th that there was a short period in time when the media was was grabbing onto that health effects and UFOs. That yeah. lasted for like a few days. So it would be interesting for this this hearing to to touch on something like that. But for those that are watching this live, what are you hoping to see in today's hearing? AJ Raffles, thank you so much. Thank you for streaming this live for us. You betcha. This is this is really, really exciting. And I cannot wait for them to get started. Come on, guys. Yeah, nobody says you betcha. Well, I like, say you betcha. Yeah, nobody says it like you. You make me when you say that. I think of of like mashed potatoes and gravy. That's, that's what delicious. I yeah, that's that's. I I, I think of that a, a fall wintry day in Wisconsin. You know, Minnesota. That's that's you know with with bacon, a buffet in a hotel with and, and everything is gravy. Everything. everything is gravy. You have tubs of gravy. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to, oh, I was going to say Cracker Barrel. At Cracker Barrel, they bring you buckets of gravy to the table. No matter what you order, you order cheesecake, you get gravy, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. Gravy on everything. You betcha. You betcha. Uh, now, why do you think, oh, Fox says Congress has been brief on Varginia. Wonder if that'll ever make its way to the public. Um, that's interesting. Um, I, I heard, you know, something about James, uh, it was at a conference, uh, in, in New York, was it in New York last week? And I think he made some comments like that. Um, I don't want them to talk around in circles. I don't think we're going to get, this is now I, I, we have where we have three branches, right? So, uh, the judicial, the executive, and and the House and Congress, right? So we've got those three branches, and and then when you take the Hill apart, where you've got the Senate and you've got the House, and to me, this is just me, 
but I'm a 60 year old American, right? I, I've, I've, I've been around uh, a couple of laps um, in this country. I've, I've always viewed the, the house as uh, it, it, uh, I don't I, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just going to tell the truth. It's like it's like it's like the training league. Okay, to the Senate, the Senate they they, they look at themselves a little more highbrow, and they take they act more serious. Congress controls the money. Right. And it's it that's a weird situation. But the Senate is going to approach this hearing differently. It's going to be a different approach right. um, uh, to the style of what is going on. The House, you know, it's a, it's a it's a little the House is like a farm team. Right. And and where they're they're working. And the Senate doesn't really work. They're more, they, they, they think that they're royalty. And I'm not wrong in this. You know, that's the image. That's, that's what you see, uh, you know, what is going on. So the approach of the House hearing um, last year was a little bit looser. Um, I think that today is going to be more organized. Now, I know that people are listening to me right now and going, you know what? I agree with church. Um, I've never heard anybody come out and say it directly like that, but we all know that that's what's going on, you know, and that's, that's, that's the difference of, of Capitol Hill. Um, so yeah, there you go. Joe Harvey, this is big for us. Um, I'm, I'm glad Jimmy's breaking it down for us. I, I'm, I've look, I've got a blank notepad. I am going to uh, 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 take note. I'm going to be very focused on this, uh, just like I was in the last hearing. Um, I sat here and 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 bang things out because um, it's happening live, Christina, and it'll get away from you if you don't take notes and then go right. back and review it later because you'll just forget it. That's that's the beauty of live and a public hearing. This is so true. And just to remind people, this is live. We are waiting on them right now to go ahead and get this started. But I am so grateful for everyone that is watching this live, placing in their comments, thinking about what what they're hoping to see, what they're expecting to see. So this is going to be very, very exciting. And I think that the more perspectives, the better. Cam, thank you so much. Personally, big win if they confirm that unusual flight characteristics are not from poor data, glitches, incorrect witness accounts. Love you both. Thank you so much, Cam. And you bring you bring a really good point. Just confirming that is a really big deal. I don't expect that we're going to hear the words alien, extraterrestrial, ET. They're in my opinion, they're probably going to walk around those words, but still hopefully touch on it. One thing that I would like to hear them talk about are the the, the objects that got shot down in February, one after another, right? That was huge news. I would like for them to touch on that. Jeremy, thank you again so much for the super sticker. Really appreciate it for supporting the channel and the RV fund as well. For those that don't know, I'll be graduating soon 
purchasing an RV and traveling the United States, hitting all the UFO and paranormal hotspots and taking you on the journey with me. I cannot wait and I'm so excited. So Jeremy, thank you so much. If you are enjoying the show so far and the commentary while we wait, make sure to hit the like button. Actually, don't even don't even try. Smash that like button because there's a bunch more great shows coming to you here. And also, while we all wait, go to the microwave. Make yourself some popcorn because uh, we're going to be eating popcorn all together. A little bit later today, I got some great news for you as well. And that is there's going to be a panel discussion with the Skinwalker Ranch team which you simply do not want to miss. You can find that right here on this channel in a few hours. So make sure to hit the notification bell on YouTube so that you do not miss that discussion with the whole Skinwalker Ranch team. Today is a long broadcasting day. Oh my gosh. Tell me about it. Everybody, when you see me tonight on Fade to Black, just remember I got up at 6 a.m., yeah, that's a that's a long day. That's a that's a long day. So Joe Harvey says, Jimmy, quick guitar question. Nice. EMG eighty five or sixty in the neck. Uh, for me, it's neither. Yeah, I am Seymour Duncan, JB, and JN in just about everything. That's it. Single coils. Ingves. So I have uh, Ingves in all of my single coil guitars, but just about everything that you see behind me, except for the Eddie Van Halen stuff, um, Seymour Duncan. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, JP. JP. Jimmy, Jimmy, did you know that yesterday was a pretty epic day for UFO transparency because a bill was passed? Yeah. And this was the HR 1151 USA Act by Congressman Meek requiring classified briefing on UAP in U.S. airspace since January 20th of 2017 in 180 days past the House 405 6. Exciting stuff. That big deal. That's and a pretty big deal. Well, see, now, isn't it strange? Um, and by the way, everybody, we're waiting. Uh, the ushers are still seating guests <laughs> in, the, in the Senate. Um, isn't it strange that we haven't heard anything else about what was shot down? Right. And for me, I'm doing frosted flakes. That's a good call right there. Um, I, missiles were shot over North America. Right. That That's crazy. Shoot downs, you know, all in one weekend, too, by the way. That was, uh, I, I guess, if you count the Chinese balloon, it was, uh, what, six days, five days of, of action in the skies and then nothing and if i'm if i'm the senate if i'm the house i got questions for my constituents yeah. I, I, the, I, the rest of the country hasn't forgotten about that and they do want to know and it's our right to know what when you make the choice to fire a missile over North America and, and, and have a shoot down, we have the right to know. And, and have crickets, oh, it's a national security issue. What? It's, it's, it's my family's security issue. And we're paying you that yeah, yeah, big yeah, paycheck exactly. after our taxes that we work hard for. 
Exactly. We paid for those missiles. How much was each one of those missiles that were fired? Have you thought about that? What? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take a guess. Half a million dollars. Right. I mean, at this point with inflation, probably a lot more than that. Yeah, and, and <laughs> that's a lot of missiles. How much for the plane to be flown? How much money was spent? You have air crews, gas, salaries, all, all of that comes into play, right? How much to shoot down a balloon, right? Or was it a balloon? And we have the right to know. And to have that completely get squashed, um, not only by Washington, uh, but by the Department of Defense. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy to me. And Canada, too, as well. Oh, we'll never know. We'll never know. It's, it's, it's 800,000 per missile was reported. You know, Dan James is from Australia. I did. Yeah. And I did shots with Dan James. Nice. How did but that happen? Yeah. It happened in a bar. Yeah, he's cool. Dan's cool. Even though we deserve that information about what's actually going on, I say this time and time on my show, and that is knowledge is power. It's a very famous saying that's been stated for hundreds of years, but it's true. If you're not knowledgeable in the topic, you're not going to ask questions. You will remain ignorant and the powerful will remain powerful. But it's when you begin asking questions that the that the pedestal that they stand on gets shorter and shorter and shorter until they're at your eye level and they're no longer a threat. But you need to be knowledgeable in the topic in order to ask the right questions because there's a lot of people that ask questions and one, they either have no idea what they're talking about or they're asking the same question that a thousand other people already asked and they're asking it either just to ask a question or because they weren't paying attention the first few thousand times. But I think overall, with today's hearing, I really hope that anyone that will be asking questions is knowledgeable in the topic, and this will definitely lead how the conversation will go. It's all about the questions, and it's about asking the right questions. And transparency. And the if we look back historically, um, like yesterday, Ron James just released his new film and Accidental Truth. And that that premiered yesterday. Today we're having the hearing. And after the hearing today, I would suggest to everybody go and watch that film. And the way that he put it together, um, this, this is an extraordinary moment of not only disclosure and moving this question forward and getting answers. Historically, we've been doing this uh, for a very long time, Christina. And if you go back to the history of, say, NICAP, and you look at that organization and, and how it was set up, and, and it, was, it was together through uh, the late 50s through the 60s, and I think it finally you know, fell apart uh, in uh, the early 90s. But here's the deal with that. NICAP was about stopping UFO secrecy. That was the goal. Donald Kehoe ran it for years, um, and they 
ran through. And what ended up happening with NICAP, um, and now I hope everybody understands what I just said. That's 70 years. Right. Right. That That's that's quite a, uh, you know, 60 years, 70 years ago. Um, NICAP was originally put together, uh, well, from concerned uh, private citizens, but a big chunk of the Navy. Okay. And later, the CIA, who wasn't involved in that, was the Air Force. And we all know the Air Force had Project Blue Book, and the Air Force wanted to control the narrative. And so NICAP comes along, and they bring in uh, the, the admirals. So that's a whole other uh, uh, side story in history on how that happened. But so as NICAP pushed forward, um, and, and Donald Kehoe's concerned with this, it was the infighting between the Navy and the Air Force, and then the CIA gets involved. Now, NICAP was an organization very much like MUFON, okay, doing their own uh, investigations independent of the government, and it was a corporation, okay? It had a, it had a, a, a board and, 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 and all of that. So when you historically look at NICAP, um, and lifting the veil of UFO secrecy, which was their mission, that's where we are today. We have been pushing at this for a very, very, very long time. This isn't something brand new. This is something that historically has always been there. I think that we're closer now than, than ever before. Um, Donald Kehoe and NICAP, as you can tell, I'm losing my voice. Uh, Donald uh, Kehoe, and, and NICAP were pushing for UFO hearings back then and never got it. No. No. No, that, that is correct. It didn't happen until uh, Gerald Ford. And that was, uh, that was a whole other situation. It, it was. And I think that in many ways we are a lot closer to making this conversation mainstream. But then that I would like to state is that People have always been interested in the conversation of UFOs, but then it was the stigma that was created of little green men and flying saucers. And in the 50s and 60s, there were actual commercials and like little TV segments of throwing a literal plate saucer and be like oh look a flying saucer wow you're getting everything wrong it's actually a plate just flying in the sky like a frisbee and so the stigma was created but people have always been interested in mystery but they don't want to be labeled as crazy or as tinfoiled hat type people but now we're having the government join in on the conversation publicly that's a really big deal and it, it adds a lot more validity to the entire conversation that funding is being placed into it. Our tax dollars are looking into this conversation and into this phenomenon we're having here. This is the second one in 55 years. So this is, these are big, important things to mention. And while many might think, oh, this is nothing. I already know all this information. For your average person, this is that know nothing about this and for the government to come in and state yeah we're looking into this that adds a level of security 
for the public to state, okay, now it's okay for me to be interested in this. Now it's okay for me to publicly state that I'm watching all of these UFO documentaries and listening to these types of shows because I'm no, I no longer feel like I'm the only one that has this interest and that hasn't changed people people love a good mystery they love a good story and it's not just ufos that interest the majority of people but it's just the overall conversation of things that are unexplainable or mysterious that i think that that's one reason to why tourism is so big right we're we're naturally explorers we naturally want to understand the things around us and our environment and things that we don't that's why we have science that's why we have archaeologists geologists so on and so forth not to only understand the past but to even understand the things that we don't yet and so having these conversations getting this this next UAP hearing that should be airing hopefully very, very, very soon. It's just placing another nail on the head of it's okay to have these interests. Well, and I think that the uh, the media, and I'm I'm referring to entertainment, um, the the entertainment industry has done a really good job at educating the world. So all of those alien invasion movies and, and, yeah. and science fiction, well, okay, uh, you know, yeah, shoot them up and, and laser cannons. That's <laughs> not what I'm referring to. What it does do is introduce everybody to the size of the universe and right. how big it really is out there. For the first time in history, we're the smartest we've ever been where we, we fully, as a planet, understand how big things really are and it's only been in the last you know 25 years that we've found other planets outside of our solar system and that's a crazy statement Jim. It's, it's the crazy, one that you just mentioned it's crazy it's the craziest statement and and people understand this now they now get it they now know that every star that they see in their backyard has at least one planet every okay. single that question has been answered so now you take it to the next well okay how many of them have life and that's where we are today i think the the the, the planet fully understands and they have the capability to understand that the universe is huge and it's full of life that's it you know and and mission accomplished and you could thank all of those alien movies and a TV series like The Expanse. You know, go watch right. The Expanse. Oh, man. It's the best. Let's see what we got here. So good, Spectre. Thank you. Do you want to read it? I, I just hope that this is another step in the right direction. I appreciate all those fighting the stigma and making this topic the real issue that it is. Special thank you to Christina and Jimmy, as well as so many others. Uh, thank you for that, Spectre. That's cool. Do you call him Spectre or Wolf? Por qué no los dos? Why not both of them? That's one of my all-time favorite commercials, by the way, where it's like a like a taco, but also like some type of chip. Por qué no los dos? It's great. oh yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Only some will get that. <laughs> I live Sorry. in L.A. I get those commercials. So. <laughs> 
so there's that. But um, the the expectations of today, um, I get it, Christina. I, I totally get it. I totally understand. People want disclosure. We do. But now, but here's the question, Jimmy. And from what angle are we going to get disclosure from? While the government is talking about this, we're getting another hearing, which we're all waiting for right now. Are we going to get that transparent disclosure from the government? Is it going to be a mass sighting? Is it going to be these conversations that we're having now that's going to create mass disclosure? In your opinion, what angle will disclosure come from? Yeah, and you're right. And so I think that the angle, uh, it's it's more about what people expect what would make the masses happy they want to feel like for the first time that they're being told the truth that that's that's what they want and so what form just some honesty where the truth is being spoken right uh, you know like for the first time like in ever right and and that's that's where it's at so even it if it comes in a little nugget, like I said earlier, Christina, that some of this we can explain, some of this we cannot, and we clearly know it's not from Earth. That's that's honesty. That's honesty. That's the truth. You know. So if if it comes in that form, and we can start to move forward, I think it would be a huge, huge day for everybody. And I think a lot, a lot of people will go, finally, I think I was told the truth today by my government. Yeah. When when we have these types of conversations, it really makes you begin to question everything that you've ever been told. And that can really frazzle the mind. It really changes your perspective. And it can make you sound a little crazy. But... When, when we look at it from the perspective that you just mentioned of has the government always been lying to us? And if it's not just on this topic, what other topics, right? With this hearing, maybe it'll add a new foundation to people's ideologies when it comes to the government. And something that I do want to touch on, actually, talking about life out there, space, our solar system, even the universe altogether. We can talk about the James Webb Space Telescope that was launched back in 2021. Now, here's a really interesting thing about it. While we were all hyping for it, while that costed billions of dollars to create and decades to make, it wasn't in, quote, in service for a whole six months. So we didn't get, the public didn't get any information from the James Webb Space Telescope from the time it launched until six months later. And supposedly they stated that, oh yeah, we didn't get any imagery. It took that long to kind of get it all set up up there, blah, blah, blah. And then you have those that are stating, what if it was always connected, but it was looking into the planets that could have potentially or could potentially harbor life, collecting that data, and then doing more research onward while the public remains ignorant to that side of the conversation. And let me just stress, the James Webb Space Telescope is amazing. The images that we have received are spectacular. Some of the best images that we've ever gotten from a telescope. Either way, it's great. I love it. 
but it's a little bit sketch. And I would like to hear your thoughts, Jimmy, and those in the live chat about that six month gap where we received no information from them. And and if that were the case, yeah. let's yeah. say they were pointing at a specific planet, what planet would it have been? They already know. They already know. Okay, so the if if I was a betting man, okay? If Are I you was a betting a, man, Jimmy? I was a betting man. I would say if I was a betting man that they have crash retrievals. They have communicated with and sat down and had lunch with E.T., uh, different species from different parts of this galaxy and possibly uh, beyond that and out into the reaches of the universe. Um, they know already, have a pretty good idea of, of where the life is, um, where they are from, where the planets are located, and and there's that. So the James Webb and also Hubble, too, as well, and, and the test system. And it, it's not just uh, the James Webb that is out there searching for exoplanets. Uh, the, the, the test network is exactly that, um, searching for. Um, and, and the network, the way that it runs, Christina, just so you know, um, here's Earth. So uh, picture this, the equator, and then you have the universe that is below us, right? You look out the window, right? <laughs> we have the universe below us. So that's being scanned. And then they take turns and then they go up and then they are scanning all of the stars in, in this direction. And, and they break it down into, into quadrants and all of the stars in this quadrant and, and, and the software is banging out all of the information uh, with light fluctuations with all of these stars. That's what's going on, right? So they have an exoplanet count right now. Um, there's the real count and there's the count that's being released to us. When James Webb went online, they already knew where they were going to point that thing. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other part, um, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay it out there. Uh, I'm here to uh, to to make people think, maybe make you a little angry. The James Webb Space Telescope is an international effort. It's not the United States. It's international. We have radio telescopes in countries all around the world. All around the world. So we have scientists and astrophysicists and physicists and astronomers from around the world, not only teaching at universities, but that are running these telescopes. And they are also the designers and engineers and program designers of the James Webb Space Telescope. It's an international effort. And all of these radio telescopes around the world and astronomers from around the world have been interested in their own little pet projects. Yeah, they've got a star they've been looking at with a planet and 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 what's going on there. When we have and, and so the James Webb is looking at all of that. It's an internet, it's not a United States thing. So if the James Webb Space Telescope makes a discovery, and I'm sure that they already have, 
Um, I don't think that the United States has the power to stop that data from going public. I, I don't think that they can control it. Not in this instance. I this, guess they'll find out the hard way in that instance. Cam. When it when it goes down, it's going to be like the movie Contact for sure. <laughs> Which is a great movie. Cam, thank you so much. He's stating that if Kirkpatrick is serious and truly wants all the funding he needs, he will cough up something big in this hearing. Money and support will skyrocket. And this is a, this is a good point. When you provide good information, people are going to be willing to listen and fund. If you don't provide anything good, people can be like, oh, this is another one of these, you know, lame, lame hearings. But if he, this is a great point that you made, Cam, if he is serious about needing to collect funding, he will drop a, some type of either small golden nugget or a decent crumb that you can bite into, like a nice loaf of bread of some kind. That's what we're all hoping for. We'll, we'll see what they have in store this stream. This stream on their website has been airing for an hour and 50 minutes. We've been chatting for about 50, still waiting on this. That was supposed to, that was supposed to already have gone live at 730. Um, yeah, PST, uh, but, it didn't happen. And UFO, thank you so much for the super sticker as well. Appreciate it. But that's the, I, I had mentioned that earlier and it's really true. This hearing today is about funding. And so you have to present your case, right? Uh, what What is it? What's the mission? Um, what have you collected? What are the, uh, the cases and events that you're looking at right now? Not the stuff that you know about, the stuff that you don't know about. And you're right, Christina, if NASA... When people say never a straight answer and all of that stuff, and, and NASA's always screaming for funding, you want me to tell you how NASA would have all the money that they could spend until the end of time? Find life on Mars. Find life on Mars. You do that, and we're going to have New York City, Manhattan number two <laughs> right there on Mars. The, the ultimate funding rockets taking off every single day. So um, don't think for a second that that isn't on everybody's mind. Now, what is it that uh, Kirkpatrick is sitting on? What's, what's the best thing that he could present today? What's the, w will he do that if he's smart? Yeah, he's going to lay something out. A shocker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, th th that will, um, it's one of the... Uh, uh, one of the best statements, when I, when I said those words right there, if you're going to do it, if you're going to swing for the fences, present it. Yeah, yeah, present Put it. Put your money where your mouth is. That's Give it. us the goods. That's it. That's it. What's the reason for Arrow? Do you hear that? What? You don't hear that? What? It's, it's live. Okay. Well, let's go. Uh, oh, ah, are we live? Of unidentified oh. anomalous phenomenon or UAP. Dr. Kirkpatrick has a very difficult mission. While we have made progress, there remains a stigma attached to these phenomenon. There is a vast and complex citizen engagement, and there's also very challenging scientific and technical hurdles. So we appreciate the willingness of Dr. Kirkpatrick 
to lean in on this issue and the work that he has accomplished thus far. And we look forward to both his opening statement and his presentation of examples of the work Arrow has done. In late 2017, media reports surfaced about activities set in motion by the late long-serving majority leader, Senator Harry Reid, more than a decade ago. We learned that there was strong evidence of advanced technology reflected in the features and performance characteristics of many objects observed by our highly, highly trained service members operating top-of-the-line military equipment. We learned that for the, at least eight, the past eight years, military pilots frequently encountered unknown objects in controlled airspace off both the east and west coasts across the continental United States in test and training areas and ranges. We don't know where they, are, they come from, who made them, or how they operate. As former Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist observed, had any of these objects had the label made in China, there would be an uproar in the government and media. There'd be no stone unturned and no effort spared to find out what we were dealing with. We can look at the recent incursion of the unidentified PRC high altitude balloon for, as an example. Because, and, but because of the UFO stigma, the we don't know where they, are, they come from, who made them, or how they operate. As former Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist observed, had any of these objects had the label made in China, there would be an uproar in the government and media. There'd be no stone unturned and no effort spared to find out what we were dealing with. We can look at the recent incursion of the unidentified PRC high altitude balloon for as an example. Because, and, but because of the UFO stigma, the response has been irresponsibly anemic and slow. Congress established Arrow. We made it clear that we expect vigorous action. We added very substantial initial funding for the office, but despite our best efforts, the president's budget for fiscal years 23 and 24 requested only enough funding to defray the operating expenses of Aero. It included almost no funds to sustain the critical research and development necessary to support a serious investigation. It took a letter to Secretary Austin from Senator Rubio and me and 14 other senators to get the office temporary relief for the current fiscal year. In this hearing, I tend to probe a series of specific issues. In the recent incidents where multiple objects were shot down over North America, it seemed that Pentagon leadership did not turn to Aero Office to play a leading role in advising the combatant commander. We need to know whether this will continue. We need to know whether the leadership in DOD will bring Aero into the decision-making process in a visible way. And we need to know what role Aero will play in interagency coordination after the NSC working group disbands. In the fiscal year 2023 National Defense and Intelligence Authorization Acts, Congress established a direct reporting chain from the Aero Director to the Deputy Secretary of Defense. The role of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security is limited to providing administrative support. We need to know how this direction is being implemented. UAP are frequently observed flying in extremely high or very low speeds and come in various sizes and shapes. During the recent shootdowns over North America, DOD disclosed that filters on radar systems were adjusted to allow for detection and tracking of diverse sets of objects for the first time. While opening the aperture can overload the real-time analytic process, we cannot keep turning a blind eye to surveillance data that is critical to detecting and tracking UAP. We need to know whether Dr. Kirkpatrick can achieve the necessary control over sensor filters and the storage and access to raw surveillance data to find UAP anomalies. Finally, one of the tasks Congress set for Aero is serving as an open door for witnesses of UAP events or participants in government activities related to UAPs to come forward securely and disclose what they know without fear of retribution for any possible violations of previously signed non-disclosure agreements. Congress mandated that Aero set up a publicly discoverable and accessible process for safe disclosure. While we know that Aero has already conducted a significant number of interviews, many referred by Congress, we need to set up a public process that 
that and we need to know where that effort stands. With that, I'd like to turn to Senator Ernst for her opening statement. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you, Dr. Kirkpatrick, for your testimony today. Uh, I'll keep these remarks very brief so that we have maximum time for your briefing. Uh, the recent downing of the Chinese surveillance, surveillance balloon and three other objects underscores the need for domain awareness. Adversaries like China and Russia are working to hold U.S. interests, including our homeland, at risk. That's why your testimony is so important. And I so look forward to a progress update on the establishment of your office. As members know, your office evolved from the Navy-led Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force to the All-Domain Anomalous Resolution Office, known as Aero. Dr. Kirkpatrick, your extensive background in science and technology, research and development, and space makes you well-suited to discuss these emerging challenges. My priority is that we understand the full range of threats posed by our adversaries in all domains. That is what the joint force needs to be prepared to fight and win in defense of our nation. This committee needs to know about Chinese or Russian advanced technology programs to exploit our vulnerabilities. And it needs to know whether your office, along with the IC, has detected potential Chinese or Russian capabilities to surveil or attack us. Finally, we need to ensure efficient interagency coordination. Multiple elements of the DOD and IC own a piece of this mission. To add value, Arrow's efforts cannot be redundant with others. Um, thank you again. We look forward to your testimony. Dr. Kirkpatrick, uh, you can give your testimony. Thank you, Chairwoman Jewelbrand, uh, Ranking Member Ernst, distinguished members of the subcommittee. It's a privilege to be here today to testify on the defense, uh, defense's efforts to address unidentified anomalous phenomena. First, I want to thank Congress for its extensive and continued partnership as the department works to better understand and respond to UAP in an effort to minimize technical and intelligence surprise. Unidentified objects in any domain pose potential risks to safety and security, particularly from military personnel and capabilities. Congress and DOD agree that UAP cannot remain unexamined or unaddressed. We are grateful for sustained congressional engagement on this issue, which paved the way for the DOD's establishment of the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office in July of last year. Though Arrow is still a young office, the spotlight on UAP in recent months underscores the importance of its work and the need for UAP to be taken seriously as a matter of national security. All leadership that I've had the pleasure of working with, whether DOD, IC, DOE, civil, scientific, or industrial, view Congress as a critical partner in this endeavor. Arrow has accomplished much in the last nine months since it was established. The Arrow team of more than three dozen experts is organized around four functional areas, operations, scientific research, integrated analysis, and strategic communications. In the nine months since Arrow's establishment, we've taken important steps to involve and improve uh, UAP data collection, standardize the department's UAP internal reporting requirements, and implement a framework for rigorous scientific and intelligence analysis, allowing us to resolve cases in a systematic and prioritized manner. Meanwhile, consistent with legislative direction, Arrow is also carefully reviewing and researching the U.S. government's UAP-related historical record. Arrow is leading a focused effort to better characterize, understand, and attribute UAP 
with priority given to UAP reports by DOD and IC personnel in or near areas of national security importance. DOD fully appreciates the eagerness from many quarters, especially here in Congress and in the American public, to quickly resolve every UAP encountered across the globe from the distant past through today. It's important to note, however, Arrow is the culmination of decades of DOD intelligence community and congressionally directed efforts to successfully resolve UAP encountered first and foremost by U.S. military personnel, specifically Navy and Air Force pilots. The law establishing Arrow is ambitious, and it will take time to realize the full mission. We cannot answer decades of questions about UAP all at once, but we must begin somewhere. While I assure you that Arrow will follow scientific evidence wherever it leads, I ask for your patience as DOD first prioritizes the safety and security of our military personnel and installations in all domains. After all, a UAP encountered first by highly capable DOD and IC platforms featuring the nation's most advanced sensors are those UAP most likely to be resolved by my office, assuming the data can be collected. If Arrow succeeds in first improving the ability of military personnel to quickly and confidently resolve UAP they encounter, I believe that in time we will have greatly advanced the capability of the entire United States government, including its civilian agencies, to resolve UAP. However, it would be naive to believe that the resolution of all UAP can be solely accomplished by the DOD and IC alone. We will need to prioritize collection and leverage authorities for monitoring all domains within the continental United States. Arrow's ultimate success will require partnerships with the interagency, industry partners, academia, and the scientific community, as well as the public. Arrow is partnering with the services, intelligence community, DOE, as well as civil partners and across the U.S. government to tap into the resources of the interagency. The UAP challenge is more an operational and scientific issue than it is an intelligence issue. As such, we are working with industry, academia, and the scientific community, which bring their own resources, ideas, and expertise to this challenging problem set. Robust collaboration and peer review across a broad range of partners will promote greater objectivity and transparency in the study of UAP. I want to underscore today that only a very small percentage of UAP reports display signatures that could reasonably be described as anomalous. The majority of unidentified objects reported to Arrow demonstrate mundane characteristics of balloons, unmanned aerial systems, clutter, natural phenomena, or other readily explainable sources. While a large number of cases in our holdings remain technically unresolved, this is primarily due to a lack of data associated with those cases. Without sufficient data, we are unable to reach defendable conclusions uh, that meet the high scientific standards we set for resolution. And I will not close a case that I cannot defend the conclusions of. I recognize that this answer is unsatisfying to those who in good faith assume that what they see with their eyes, with their cameras, and with their radars is incontrovertible evidence of extraordinary characteristics and performance. Yet time and again, with sufficient scientific quality data, it is fact that UAP often, but not always, resolve into readily explainable sources. Humans are subject to deception and illusions, sensors to unexpected responses and malfunctions, and in some cases, intentional interference. Getting to the handful of cases that pass this level of scrutiny is the mission of Arrow. 
That is not to say that UAP, once resolved, are no longer of national security interest, however. On the contrary, learning that a UAP isn't of exotic origin, but is instead just a quadcopter or a balloon, leads to the question of who is operating that quadcopter and to what purpose. The answers to those questions will inform potential national security or law enforcement responses. Arrow is a member of the department's support to the administration's Tiger Team effort to deal with stratospheric objects such as the PRC high altitude balloon. While when previously unknown objects are successfully identified, it is Arrow's role to quickly and efficiently hand off such readily explainable objects to the intelligence, law enforcement, or operational safety communities for further analysis and appropriate action. In other words, Arrow's mission is to turn UAP into SEP, somebody else's problem. The US government, the DOD and the IC in particular, has tremendous capabilities to deal with those encountered objects. In the wake of the PRC HAB event, the interagency is working to better integrate and share information to address identifiable stratospheric objects, but that is not Arrow's lane. Meanwhile, for the few cases in all domains, space, air, and sea, that do demonstrate potentially anomalous characteristics, Arrow exists to help the DOD, IC, and interagency resolve those anomalous cases. In doing so, Arrow is approaching these cases with the highest level of objectivity and analytic rigor. This includes physically testing and employing modeling and simulation to validate our analyses and underlying theories, then peer reviewing those results within the US government industry partners, and appropriately cleared academic institutions before reaching any conclusions. I should also state clearly for the record that in our research, Arrow has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology, or objects that defy the known laws of physics. In the event sufficient scientific data were ever obtained that a UAP encountered can only be explained by extraterrestrial origin, we are committed to working with our interagency partners at NASA to appropriately inform US government's leadership of its findings. For those few cases that have leaked to the public previously and subsequently commented on by the US government, I encourage those who hold alternative theories or views to submit your research to credible peer-reviewed scientific journals. Arrow is working very hard to do the same. That is how science works, not by blog or social media. We know that there is tremendous public interest in UAP and a desire for answers from Arrow. By its very nature, the UAP challenge has for decades lent itself to mystery, sensationalism, and even conspiracy. For that reason, Arrow remains committed to transparency, accountability, and to sharing as much with the American public as we can, consistent with our obligation to protect not only intelligence sources and methods, but US and allied capabilities. However, Arrow's work will take time if we are committed to do it right. It means adhering to the scientific method and the highest standards of research integrity. It means being methodical and scrupulous. It means withholding judgment in favor of evidence. It means following the data where it leads, wherever it leads. It means establishing scientific peer-reviewed theoretical underpinnings of observed data. And Arrow is committed to all of those standards. I'm proud of Arrow's progress over the last nine months. months uh, much remains to be done, but the hard work is underway. Thank you for your continued support. And before we turn to questions, I wanna walk you through some of our analytical trends and a couple of cases that we've prepared. 
So one of the things that Arrow does is high integrity analysis, as I've said. This chart represents the trend analysis of all the cases in Arrow's holdings, right, to date. What you'll see on the left is a histogram of all of our reported sightings as a function of altitude. So most of our sightings occur in the 15 to 25,000 foot range. And that is ultimately because that's where a lot of our aircraft are. On the far right upper corner, you'll see a breakout of the morphologies of all of the UAP that are reported. Over half, about 52% of what's been reported to us are round orb spheres. The rest of those break out into all kinds of different other shapes. The gray box is essentially there's no data on what its shape is. Either it wasn't reported or the uh, sensor did not collect it. The bottom uh, map is a heat map of all reporting areas across the globe that we have available to us. What you'll notice is that there is a heavy, what we call collection bias, both in altitude and in geographic location. That's where all of our sensors exist. That's where our training ranges are. That's where our operational ranges are. That's where all of our platforms are. In the middle, what we have done is reduce the most typically reported UAP characteristics to these uh, fields, mostly round, mostly one to four meters, white, silver, translucent, metallic, 10,000 to 30,000 feet with apparent velocities from stationary to Mach 2. No thermal exhausts usually detected. We get intermittent radar returns. We get intermittent radio returns and we get intermittent thermal signatures. That's what we're looking for and trying to understand what that is. Next slide. So I'm gonna walk you through two cases that we've uh, declassified recently. Um, this first one is an MQ-9 in the Middle East observing that blow up, which is an apparent spherical object via EO sensors. Those are not IR. If you wanna go ahead and click that and play it. You'll see it uh, come through the top of the screen. There it goes. And then the camera will slew to follow it. You'll see it pop in and out of the field of view there. This is essentially all of the data we have associated with this event from some years ago. It is going to be virtually impossible to fully identify that just based off of that video. Now, what we can do and what we are doing is keeping that as part of that group of 52% to see what are the similarities? What are the trends across all of these? Do we see these in a particular distribution? Do they all behave the same or not? As we get more data, we will be able to go back and look at these in a fuller context. How are we gonna get more data? We are working with the joint staff to issue guidance to all the services and commands that will then establish what are the reporting requirements, the timeliness, and all of the data that is required to be delivered to us and retained 
from all of the associated sensors. That historically hasn't been the case and it's been happenstance that data has been collected. Next slide. This particular uh, event, South Asia MQ-9, uh, looking at another MQ-9 and what's highlighted there in that red circle is an object that flies through the screen. Unlike the previous one, this one actually shows some really interesting things that everyone thought was truly anomalous to start with. First of all, it's a high-speed object that's flying in the field of regard of two MQ-9s. Second, it appears to have this uh, trail behind it. Right, which at first blush, you would think that looks like a propulsion trail. In reality, uh, if you want to play the first slide, we'll show you what that looks like in real time, the first video. So we're looking at that, there it goes. Once you play it again and then pause it halfway through, right there. All right, if you might be able to see that trail there behind it. That's actually not a real trail. That is a sensor artifact. Um, uh, each one of those little blobs is actually a representation of the object as it's moving through. And later in the video, as the, as the uh, camera slews, that trail actually follows the direction of the camera, not the direction of the object. We pulled these apart frame by frame. We were able to demonstrate that that is essentially a readout uh, overlap of the image. It's a, it's a shadow image, right? It's not real. Further, if you later um, follow this all the way to end, it starts to resolve itself into that blob that's in that picture in the top right. And if you squint, it looks like an aircraft because it actually turns out to be an aircraft. Go ahead and put that on. So you'll see the tail sort of pop out there. And so what you're looking at is, this is in the infrared, this is the heat signature off of the engines of a commuter aircraft that happened to be flying in the vicinity of where those two MQ-9s were at. Why am I showing you this? So the first one that I showed you, we don't have resolved yet, right? That is an unresolved case we are still studying. This one, we can resolve but this is the kind of data that we have to work with and the type of analysis that we have to do, which can be quite extensive when you have to pull these apart frame by frame. Further, we're now matching all of this with the models of all of those imaging sensors so that I can say, I can recreate this. I can actually show how the sensor is gonna respond. All of these sensors don't necessarily respond the way you think they do especially out in the world and in the field. And I believe that's all I have, and I will open it up for your questions. Thank you so much, Dr. Kirkpatrick. Um, can you just give us some raw numbers of how many uh, UAPs you've analyzed, how many have been resolved, and sort of in what buckets, and then how many are still left to be resolved? Just an update from your January public report where it was 366 or something and about 150 were were um, balloons and about two dozen were drones. You know, just uh, give us an update if you have one. Sure. So as of this week, uh, we are tracking over a total of 650 cases. Now, 
the report in January basically said about half of the ones at that time, about 150, were balloon, were likely balloon-like or something like that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they're resolved. Oh, I see. Okay, so what? Uh, let me when we walk everyone through what our analytic process looks like. We have a essentially a five-step process, right? So we have, we get our cases in with all the data, we create a case uh, for that uh, event. My team does a preliminary scrub of all of those cases as they come in just to sort out, do we have any information that says this is in one of those likely categories? It's likely a balloon, it's likely a balloon, you know, a bird, it's likely some other object or we don't know. Then we prioritize those based off of where they are. Are they attached to a national security area? Does it show some anomalous um, phenomenology that is of interest? If it's, just, if it's just a spherical thing that's floating around with the, with the wind and it has no payload on it, that's gonna be less important than something that has a payload on it which will be less important than something that's maneuvering, right? So there's, there's sort of a hierarchy of just binning the priorities because we can't do all of them at once. Once we do that and we prioritize them, we take that package of data in that case, and I have set up two teams. Uh, think of this as a red team, blue team, or a competitive analysis. I have an intelligence community team made up of intelligence analysts, and I have an S&T team made up of scientists and engineers and the people that actually build a lot of these sensors or physicists, because you know if you're a physicist, you can do anything, right? Um, and, but they're not associated with the uh, Intel community. They're, they're not Intel officers. So they, they look at this through the lens of the sensor of the, the, what the data says. We give that package to both teams the intelligence community is going to look at it through the lens of the intelligence record and, and what they assess and their intel tradecraft, which they have very specific rules and regulations on how they do that. Scientific community, technical community is going to look at it through the lens of what is the data telling me? What is the sensor doing? What would I expect a sensor response to be? And back that out. Those two groups give us their answers. We then adjudicate. If they agree, then I am more likely to close that case if they agree on what it is. If they disagree, we will have an adjudication. We'll bring them together, we'll take a look at the differences, we'll adjudicate what, why do you say one thing and you say another. We will then come to a case um, recommendation. That'll get written up by my team. That then goes to a senior technical advisory group which is outside of all of those people, made up of senior technical folks and, and uh, um, intel analysts and operators from retired uh, out of the community. Uh, and they, they essentially peer review what that case recommendation is. They write their recommendations, that comes back to me, I review it, we make a determination and I'll sign off one way or the other. And then that will go out as the, the case determination. Once we have an approved web portal to hang the unclassified stuff, we will de, you know we would downgrade and declassify things and put it out there. In the meantime, we're putting a lot of these on our classified web portal 
where we can then collaborate with the rest of the community so they can see what's going on. That's in a nutshell, that is the process, right? So uh, because of that, that takes time. So of those over 650, you know, we've prioritized about uh, half of them to be of, of um, anomalous, interesting value. And now we have to go through those and go, how much do I have actual data for? Because if all I have is a, is a operator report that says I saw X, Y, or Z, my assessment is A, B, or C, that's not really sufficient. That's a good place to start, but I have to have data. I have to have radar data. I have to have EO data. I have to have thermal data. I have to have overhead data. And we need to look at all that. Now, from a big picture perspective, I still have, that's all very, still very valuable data. And we're looking at applying a lot of things, new tools, uh, analytic tools like natural language processing. So I can go across all of those reports and look for commonalities. How many of them are being described as round spherical objects that are maneuvering? How many of them are not maneuvering? How many of them seem to have a plume to it or no? That's also gonna be very valuable to give us more of a global picture and a trends analysis of what are we seeing and help us get to the determination. So go back to your question, ma'am. We have um, uh, this next quarterly report will be coming out here pretty soon. Our next annual report, um, you all have uh, given us, uh, moved it up to, to June, July. We're gonna be having that done about uh, that time frame, and we will have a we'll be combining a whole number of reports in, into that one. Uh, I think we'll, we're currently sitting at around, hmm, if I remember correctly, we're around twenty to thirty-ish. Are about halfway through that analytic process. A handful of them have made it all the way out to the other side, gone through peer review. We've got case closure reports done and signed. We're going to get faster as we get more people on board uh, and we get more of the community tools to automate some of the analysis that has to be done. Yeah, thank you, Madam Chair. And Dr. Kirkpatrick, the ODNI annual threat assessment states that China's space activities are designed to erode U.S. influence across military, technological, economic, and diplomatic spheres. Likewise, Russia will remain a key space competitor. In the course of your work, have you become aware of any Chinese or Russia technical advancements to surveil or attack U.S. interests? So that's a great question. Part of what we have to do as we go through these, um, especially the ones that show signatures of advanced technical capabilities, is determine if there is a foreign nexus. Mm -hmm. That's really hard if what we observe doesn't have a Chinese or Russian flag on the side of it. Now, I think it is um, prudent to say of the of the cases that are showing it, you know some sort of advanced technical signature of which we're talking single percentages of the entire 
population of cases we have. Um, I am concerned about what that nexus is. And I have indicators that some are related to foreign capabilities. We have to investigate that with our IC partners. And as we get evidence to support that, that gets then handed off to the appropriate IC agency to investigate. Again, it becomes an SEP at that point. Yeah, somebody else's problem. Right. Very good. Thank you. Yes. Is it <laughs> is it is it possible that the Chinese or Russian advanced technologies could could be causing some of these anomalous behaviors? And and you said there seems to be um, some indicators. Uh, so, just for us today, uh, could you describe? potential threat that might exist out there if they are foreign sure. nexus. In order to do this research appropriately, we have to also be cognizant of what is the state of the art and development across the S&T community. What, is, what are the DARPAs of the world doing? What are our, what's the horizon scanning of emerging technologies? appropriate to this subcommittee, what is happening out there? And if somebody could accelerate that capability, how would that manifest itself and what would it look like? And do those signatures match what we're seeing? Mm -hmm. um, there are emerging capabilities out there that, that in many instances, Russia and China, well, China in particular, are on par or ahead of us in some areas. Right. So previously, I used to be the Defense Department's intelligence officer for science and technical intelligence. That was our job, was to look for what does all that look like. Um, and then, you know, my last several years, of course, in, in Space Command doing space. The, the, the adversary is not waiting they are advancing and they're advancing quickly. If I were to put on some of my old hats, I would tell you they are less risk averse at technical advancement than we are. Mm. Right? They are just willing to try things and see if it works. Are there capabilities that could be employed against us in both an ISR and a weapons fashion? Absolutely. Do I have evidence that they're doing it in these cases? No, but I have concerning indicators. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that's, that is why it's so important that you are working with the intelligence community as well, mm -hmm. um, because you, you have the science, the data background, but you also need to know um, from various sources what adversaries may be working on. Is that correct? Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Madam Chair. Senator Rose. Uh, well, thank you, Chair Gillibrand, Ranking Member Ernst. Uh, this is a really important hearing. I'd like to thank you, Dr. Kirkpatrick, for your service to the country. And as a former systems analyst myself, I really appreciate uh, your flowchart, the description of the process, and particularly the trends analysis going forward, how that's going to help us. And you talked about language, the large LLMs, the large language models, artificial intelligence. That's really going to help us in the hunt forward mm -hmm. predictive analysis, I think, uh, um, 
uh, to some of your point, mm-hmm. what we're mm-hmm. worried about. But I want to focus on Nevada because uh, I want to talk about the impact of UAPs on aviation safety. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to unified, unidentified aerial phenomena, phenomena, excuse me, one of my first concerns is really about the safety of Nevada's military aviator. So we have airmen stationed at Nellis Air Force Base, mm-hmm. naval aviators flying at Naval Air Station Fallon, and service members across from across the world training at the Nevada Test and Training Range. I know you know all this. And unfortunately, the existence of advanced UAPs in the U.S. airspace and over U.S. military installations, um, not a new phenomenon. The Navy's officially acknowledged that between 2004 and 2021, 11 near misses occurred involving UAPs that required pilot action and follow-up reports. As a result, in 2019, the Navy established a protocol for pilots to report on their dangerous encounters. So could you speak to any ongoing efforts within DOD to ensure the safety of our aviators with a potential um, UAP encounter? And what's your relationship with NORTHCOM, NORAD, SPACECOM when it comes to this immediate real-time response and how they're, they're, yeah. they're right there in the moment, right? Absolutely. That's a great question. So uh, let me start with, um, you know, my relationship with the commands are, are, are very good. I just came back from uh, sitting down with, with General Van Herc and all the, all the J staff out at NORTHCOM uh, a couple weeks ago, talking through exactly what we need to do to help them get their arms around this. Uh, we are also working very closely with joint staff. And the joint staff has, has just been very outstanding in helping uh, work through policy and guidance issues to the forces and to the services. And I would like to just make sure that we, we message back to all of the operators the importance of their uh, reporting and the fact that you're about to get a, you know, a bunch of new requirements that we're issuing through the joint staff on all of the data that we're gonna need you to save and, and report back to us. Um, it is invaluable and we are working to try to, to take the most advantage of that to learn what it is that we're trying to mitigate. To get directly to your question, first thing that we're doing is normalizing our reporting. Right? We're standardizing our reporting and the requirements associated with that. Uh, guidance from the joint staff, I think, goes out maybe this week, mm-hmm. um, maybe next week, uh, that we've been working with them for some months that does exactly what I just said. It gives them timelines. It gives them requirements. It gives them, here's all the data you have to have, um, and you got to retain it. The next thing that comes after that is a plan ord that will go out to the commands for mitigation and response. So there's a couple of things that we have to do. One, I need to uh, work with uh, the commands and with the IC and with um, our outside of our DOD and IC partners to extend our collection posture Mm -hmm. targeted at some of these key areas that you saw on that heat map. Uh, that have a lot of activity so that we can turn on extra collection when an operator sees something. So part of this is generating uh, as a response function in what we call a tactic technique and procedure for an operator when he sees something, calls back to the operations floor, they can turn on additional collection. What does that collection look like? How do I bring all that together so I can get more data on what is that thing? Can, can I ask really quickly, do sure. you 
have the authorities you need to extend your collection posture between agencies or, or uh, branches of the military? Because that seems to me to uh, maybe be a sticking point. I know my time's just about up. I'd love to follow up about your risk management methodologies yep. for some of these. But do you ha need any authorities that you don't have to uh, get, get the data? There are some authorities that we need. We currently are operating under Title X authorities, but we have... Um, you know, good relationships across the other agencies, but having additional authorities for collection tasking, counterintelligence, That's something those are all things that would be helpful, yes. Thank you. To follow up, Dr. Kirkpatrick, will you help us write that language so we can put it in the defense bill this year so that we know what authorities you need? Mm -hmm. okay. We can do that. Thank you. Um, we're going to start second round, so if you want to stay, you can ask another round. I have at least three more questions, so... Do you want to do you want to go right now? So you, in case you have to leave. Yeah, go ahead. Spy balloon. It did cross through the U.S. airspace, shot down by a Sidewinder missile fired from an F-22. Sidewinders cost us close to half a million dollars each. So given the cost of these missiles, the cost per flight, all of these other things, like I said, follow up on the authorities, your methodologies, the data collection, they can help us in other ways. But how do you think we can develop a sustainable, affordable response to UAPs where we need to um, that may, that will definitely violate our airspace, not may, definitely violate our airspace every chance mm -hmm. that they can get because there are adversaries and they want this information. So what do you think some cost-effective measures might be that we can um, get what we need out of that or take them down, whatever is appropriate, whatever the appropriate measure is, let's put it that so way. So that, that is actually wrapped into the plan or that we're working with joint staff to send out. What do the commands need from both a capabilities perspective for kinetic and non-kinetic yeah. engagements? What are the response functions of the of the uh, particular wings or or navy, uh, what have you, and then what authorities do they need? So one of the one of the challenges that we've seen is is you know there's an authorities issues with the with the owners operators of those ranges that they need to work through, and we're working that with uh, joint staff and, and OSD. So. Big picture, we need to do all that. If you want to get down to the specifics for, you know, there are non-kinetic options to engage pretty much everything, right? Uh, whether it's electronic warfare, whether it's, you know, laser technology. That's where this data comes. That's Having right. a good data collection, predictive Correct. analytics, you can inform, make some assumptions on possibilities. That's right. And we will inform uh, recommendations back to the department on, Here's what could work. Here's what we've seen work. Here's what doesn't work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Madam Chair. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, can, I just wanted to just talk a little bit about your logistics, who you report to, how that's going, uh, whether you need different reporting lines. Um, by congressional legislation, your office is administratively located with the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, but you're not substantively subordinate to the Undersecretary. Rather, you are a direct report to the deputy secretary. Are you taking direction directly from the deputy secretary? Are you able to meet and brief the deputy secretary? Um, is the office of USD INS um, working with you to have the right framework? So USD INS, uh, 
and the uh, I, I currently report to USDINS um, until they come up with the, the plan for how they're going to implement legislation. DOD and DNI are working through that now. I'd have to refer you back to USDINS on what their plan is. Um, Do I need to update your reporting structure in the next defense bill, or is this something that you think will work its way out, or does it need further clarity? I think they're planning on coming back to you with an answer on what that plan is, and mm -hmm. I think at that time that will inform what you want to do. Okay, thank you. Um, as you know, uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick, Congress has mandated that your office establish a discoverable and accessible electronic method for potential witnesses of UAP incidents and potential participants in government UAP-related activities to contact your office and tell their stories. Congress also set up a process whereby people uh, subject to non-disclosure agreements, preventing them from disclosing what they may have witnessed or participated in, could tell you what they know without risk of retribution from the, or violation of their NDAs. Um, have you submitted a public-facing website product for approval to your superiors, and how long has it been under review? I have. Uh, we submitted the first version of that uh, before Christmas. And do you have an estimate from them when they will respond and when you'll have feedback on that? No, I don't. Okay. We will author a letter asking for that timely response. Um, to your superiors, uh, when when do you expect that you will establish a public-facing discoverable um, and access portal for people to use to contact your office as the law requires? So I would like to first say thank you all very much for um, referring the witnesses that you have thus far to us. I appreciate that. We've brought in uh, nearly two dozen so far. It's been it's been very uh, helpful. I'd ask that you continue to do that until we have an approved plan. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a multi-phased approach for doing that, that we've been uh, uh, socializing and have submitted for uh, approval sometime. Mm -hmm. uh, once that happens, then we should be able to push all that out and get, uh, get this a little more automated. Great. Um, what I would ask, though, is as you all continue to uh, refer to us and uh, refer witnesses to us, I'd, I'd appreciate if you do that. Um, please try to prioritize the ones that you want to do because we do have a small uh, research staff yep. dealing with that. Thank you. Um, and then do you have any uh, plans for public engagement that you want to share now that you think it's important that the public knows what the plan is? So we have a... Uh, uh, a number of public engagement uh, recommendations uh, according to our strategic plan. Uh, all of those have been submitted for approval. They have to be approved by USDINS. Um, we are waiting for approval to go do that. Okay, I will follow up on that. Um, and then my last question is about um, <clears throat> the integration of departments, UAP operations, research analysis, and strategic communications. Um, during the recent UAP incidents over North America, it didn't appear that you were allowed to play that role. Um, do you agree that the public perception is generally that you and your office did not appear to play a major role in the department's response to the detection of objects over North America? Uh, what can you tell us um, that's going on behind the scenes from your perspective? 
And in the after action assessment process, is there awareness that there is a need to operate differently in the future and a commitment to doing so? When the, when the objects were first detected, I got called by joint staff leadership uh, to come in uh, late one night to review uh, events as they were unfo unfolding and to give them a, a, you know, an assessment uh, based on what we knew at that time. Uh, I did that, uh, worked with uh, the director of joint staff, the J2 and the J3 uh, that night and over the couple of following days on what are the types of things that we are tracking from an unidentified object perspective? What databases do we use? Those sorts of things for, for, norm, for known objects, known tracking. Um, beyond that, the response, I would, have to, I would have to refer you back to the White House for the decision on how they did the, the response. Uh, we did not play a role in what you would respond other than that initial um, you know, advice on what we are seeing and how we are seeing it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, Dr. Kirkpatrick, I, I know that your office has gotten a lot of attention uh, recently. And of course, any new agency, there tends to be a push to increase size and, and funding. Um, we want to make sure that you're able to meet your goals. But what I also need to ensure is that we're not duplicating or replicating existing functions um, and creating redundancy within DOD and uh, the interagency. So what steps are you taking right now to make sure that your particular office and function is, is unique uh, to any of the other agencies that might be involved in these types of cases? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I would like to um, lay down, here's, here's what am I, you know, sort of my mission and my goal and my vision here. So the vision is at, at one point, at some point in the future, you should not need an arrow. If I'm successful in what I'm doing, we should be able to normalize everything that we're doing into existing processes, functions, agencies, and organizations, and make that part of their mission and their role. Right now, the niche that we form is really going after the unknowns. If you, I think you articulated it early on, this is a hunt mission for what might somebody be doing in our backyard that we don't know about. All right, well, that 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 is what we are doing right but at some point we should be able to normalize that that's why it's so important the work we're doing with joint staff to normalize that into uh, dod policy and guidance we are bringing in all of our interagency partners so nasa is providing a, a liaison for us i have fbi liaison i have osi liaison i have service liaisons the ice a half of my staff come from the ic Half of my staff come from uh, other scientific and technical backgrounds. I have DOE. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is ensure, again, as I make UAP into SEP, they get handed off to the people that that is their mission to go do so that we aren't duplicating that. I'm not going to go chase the Chinese high altitude balloon, for example. That's not my job. It's not an unknown and it's not anomalous anymore. Now it goes over to them. Right. Very good. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, 
I wanted just to follow up on the filters for surveillance. Um, outside observers have speculated that DOD sets filters on certain sensors to eliminate objects that are moving really fast or slow because what we are looking for militarily are conventional aircraft and missiles. UAP do that doesn't fit into these programs would thereby be weeded out and never noticed. This specul speculation was proven to be true during the UAP incidents over North America where DOD publicly acknowledged that we were able to start seeing these UAPs only when we opened up these filters. Um, obviously, our military operators cannot be overloaded with objects that are not conventional aircraft or missiles. Can you nonetheless make sure that the raw data is being captured and subsequently processed so that your office knows what's really out there? And is that going to cost money? Will you expect to pay for that money out of Aero's budget? One of the key tenets that we're trying to do in our science plan is understand what those signatures are. So we get all the raw, for example, radar data prior to the scrubbing and filtering to allow it to enter into our weapon systems and our detection systems. We are now taking all that data and cross-correlating it to what pilots are saying they're seeing or other observations from other operators. What that allows us to do is then see if there are any, any signatures in that data that I can pull out, generate uh, what we'll call automatic target recognition algorithms that allow us to then use that signature associated with a observed UAP, whatever that UAP may be. We will then make those recommendations of what those changes should be back to the department. So the deputy secretary had asked me last October to make those recommendations. What changes do we need to make to radars, to uh, platforms, to detection systems and algorithms to, to pull on those, those algorithms and make those changes? That's going to take some time. That's where the research and development comes in. Right? It's not it's not instantaneous. Right now, a lot of the, I won't say, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the things that fall outside of the ranges of those filters have been identified by people in the loop. And you can't have people in the loop all the time. You can, you know, it's just not cost effective. So part of our budget is working through what, is, what does that look like? and then making those recommendations back to the big program offices for them to put into changes in acquisition. My last question is about the academic community. Um, can you give us an update on sort of how you collaborate with the academic community and uh, whether um, how the independent study being done by NASA complements Arrow's work? Sure. Two questions, so I'm gonna try to make it quick. The uh, 1979, Carl Sagan said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I would go one step further, and I would say extraordinary claims require not only extraordinary evidence, but extraordinary science. And so how do you do that? You do that with the scientific method, right? And so as Arrow is developing and implementing its science plan, it has to do so grounded in a solid foundation of scientific theory across the entire range of hypotheses that have been presented for what UAP are. That range spans adversary breakthrough technology on one hand, known objects and phenomena in the middle, 
all the way to the extreme theories of extraterrestrials. All of that has physics-based signatures associated with it, whether it's theoretical from the academic community, known from things like hypersonic weapons or uh, adversary breakthrough technologies, as we've talked about before, or the known objects that we have to go measure. The idea is across that entire range, you have to come up with peer-reviewed scientific basis for all of it. The academic community plays a very big role on the one end of the spectrum, the intelligence community on the other end of the spectrum, and then measurement in the middle. Once I have those signatures identified in, in validated peer-reviewed um, documents, then I have something to point to for all that data. Because all that data is going to match one of those signatures, right? And then I can go, well, it's that and not that, or it's that. And that helps us go through all that. Where NASA comes in and, and the, the study that they're doing, which I'm uh, supporting is really um, looking at the unclassified data sources that might be used to augment our classified data sources to understand if there's a signature there we can pull on. So very similar to the radars, but civil capabilities. So for example, we have a lot of climate science satellites, for example, that look at Earth. Lots of them. How many of those is the data valuable in seeing these kinds of objects? The challenge in that is those, those platforms don't necessarily have the resolution you need. So if you remember the slide I put up there with the trends, the size of the objects we're looking for are typically reported to be one to four meters. Well, the resolution of many of the climate science, civil, um, science, you know, civil satellites is much larger than that, which means you'd have a hard time picking out something that's smaller than a pixel on the imagery on the data. That's not to say all of it's not useful, and there are ways of pulling through that data and going through. That is what NASA is focused on right now. So what, is, what are some other data sources that could be used? In addition, things like open source and um, um, crowdsourcing of, of data. We're exploring public-private partnerships, ma'am, as you know, we've talked about in the past, to look at is there a way to smartly crowdsource additional data that might be useful to augment some of my classified sources? And what does that look like? And how would we do it so that we're not overwhelmed by you know, everybody who wants to take a picture of everything? Like to tell the committee before we close? Or do you have another round? Yeah, do you have anything else you'd like to tell the committee before we close? Thank you very much for uh, allowing us to come and share a little bit of insight into what Arrow's up to and what we're doing. I hope to be able to share a whole lot more in the future. Um, we have a lot of work to do, so if you don't hear from me outside, it's because we've got a lot of work to do. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kirkpatrick. Thank you for the hearing. Thank you.
Okay. That's all right, Jimmy. Let's. What the hell? Okay. Um, yeah, I took a lot of notes. I think everybody saw me writing. Um, wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, what do I think? Well, um, I, I'm just going to go down uh, some of my uh, little quick notes here. Um, what I did find interesting um, uh, is that he went out of his way to totally body slam Lou Elizondo and Jeremy Corbell. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? Lou, as we all know, is out there saying, you know, there's a, there's a lot of life out there. There's things going on. It's my mission, you know, to bring the, the, the reality of, of UFOs and ET contact uh, and disclosure, you know, that's, that's my mission. And, and I'm going to go and get this done. I'm your guy. Right. And Sean Kirkpatrick just said, no evidence of ET. And, and that's it. So I don't know what Lou's response is going to be uh, to Sean Kirkpatrick, but that was very interesting, uh, interesting and very pointed. Also, he showed the the Mosul video, right? And now, which uh, Corbell, you know, paraded around the world, you know, check this out. This is it, man. This is what. This is some secret classified stuff, man. And you know, they say, you know, check this out. So, and by out of all the videos that Kirkpatrick could have shown, he showed that one. And and isn't that interesting? where he went at those two um, in a very direct manner. You know, so now, you know, you can expect, you know, some some glorified response from Jeremy. And, uh, okay, fine. Um, but, uh, and, and Lou, uh, Lou can't sit on his hands here. He's got to, he's got to respond back and, and say, uh, 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 you know, have some kind of response uh, to Sean Kirkpatrick. And the other thing is that he clearly said um, a few times that it's Arrow's mission to make all of UAP somebody else's problem. That was definitely the narrative of yeah, the show the today. But we also need to keep in mind, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, this is a nothing burger of, of a hearing. The whole purpose of the hearing was to receive funding for Arrow. Like that was the main purpose of it. He didn't, he and, didn't do that, did he? Well, I feel like Kirkpatrick was constantly hinting at it, taking us a long time. Do you Please. think he got his funding though? That's what I'm asking you. Well, let me tell you, Gillibrand was asking some very tough pointed questions she was knowledgeable in the topic that she was asking about either if she wrote those questions herself or or if they were passed to her either way she was definitely the star of the show uh, for people like us in the field but the the overall narrative from my understanding were, were two things one we need more funding we need to our office the arrow office needs to be aware of secret projects literally like black projects, not only by the U.S., but by other countries. And then the third piece being 
it's not our problem. If it's not actually a UFO that we think that like we simply cannot explain it, we're going to pass it over to another department. And Ernst was also kind of prompting that as well. What makes Arrow different from all of these other organizations? That was, great. That was a, when, when Ernst asked, Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, are, are you redundant? Right? Are, are there? Uh, is this already getting done by somebody else? What makes you special? Why do we need you? Why do we have to throw more money? What is it that you're doing that's different than ever? That was awesome. It was, uh, and and you could understand that question one in two ways. Either one, thinking, are there other UFO offices, right, that are also looking into this that are private, or are we looking at other agencies, other organizations that the public is familiar with that is looking at the explainable, the ISOs versus the UFOs, right? Sneezed like nobody's business. I barely hit that cough button. Wow, that was crazy. Did you you see it bubbling up? Yeah, it was bubbling up. I was like, oh, 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 whoa. Um, But the the redundant, I think that... um, that Kirkpatrick at that point um, stumbled a little bit. Um, he didn't, I, when he, when he made the Carl Sagan reference and he said, you know, you've got science and over on this end, you've got ET and then you've got it all the way over here to hypersonic missiles. He had an opportunity right there to suggest, you know, one of the things that, that makes us special is, is maybe we get the one in a million shot at a confirmation of ET visiting this planet. That's Arrow's mission. And, you know, the other stuff we can help resolve and pass the buck and, and make it somebody else's problem. And we'll clear this out and hand it over to the agencies that, that can deal with this data. But we are bringing in the scientists and we are bringing in the sensor data and we are bringing this in and and to see that maybe right and that opportunity was right there i thought he was going there um but he didn't also uh he was very clear in his opening statement zero evidence of et and uh he also said that arrow uh, wasn't involved with the balloons uh that was pretty interesting um when they said that the the sensor data was turned on for the first time, uh, well, you know, for the balloon detection for the first time. What the hell are we paying all this money for, you know, for all this technology and and sensors and equipment and and radar and a dome of protection of the skies and we know what's going on at all, and apparently we don't. Well, what I would like to state is that even in the question when they were asking about that they literally said the chinese surveillance balloon and other craft so that in itself is is saying something that at least publicly they're not stating what those other objects were but they definitely weren't chinese surveillance balloons and i think overall like what i want to know about are those daily tic tac ufo sightings i want to hear testimony from more naval pilots and i hope that we do see those witness testimonies that was kind of hinted at near the end of the hearing but definitely what about the witness testimony about ufos over sensitive 
ICBM locations. Yeah, well, he said that uh, they had over two dozen witnesses, right? But nothing about what those witnesses were bringing forward, uh, no information there, um, uh, and said that they, you know, they have a small staff. He welcomes more witnesses, uh, you know, coming from the Senate. Um, and and recommended uh, to Arrow, but he's got a very small staff uh, to pull off uh, the investigations with with the witnesses. But two dozen witnesses have spoken to Arrow. Um, also, uh, this is where he he talked in circles, okay? and he he once again said it wasn't. China or Russia. He said there are some things that are signatures, but he can't say that it's Russia or China. He said that there's some stuff there that uh, they are interested in, but he didn't go there and, and wouldn't go there. I find that very interesting. Then what is it that you're looking for? Are you literally looking for he said quadcopters, you know, and it's like, wait, wait, what? Quadcopters. That was Arrow, interesting. Arrow's mission is to identify quadcopters. And that, that talk about redundant and unnecessary as an office. Um, I think that everybody from the media and the press and the community and our community and, 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 and the Senate too, as well. Uh, including the wording of Gillibrand's uh, uh, amendment in the budget, mm -hmm. that this was UAPs. This is UFOs. This is the possibility of ET, not quadcopters. I could not believe. So um, for Kirkpatrick to say, well, it's not China, it's not Russia, uh, we're looking at these, you know, small things uh, in a in, in an airspace of ten thousand to thirty thousand feet where aircraft are flying, and and that's that's what we're looking at, right? It's like, what, what are you stating? And that's where I don't I don't think he was successful in in his funding mission. It, he sounded like uh, I. You know what? I, I guess we'll see. Hopefully we'll get that information rather shortly on if you will receive funding. I think in the long run, you probably will. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. The fifth kind, thank you so much for the super chat. Thanks for covering this, Christina and Jimmy. Much appreciated. Mark, uh, yeah, thank you so much as well. And Android, thank you. Dr. Kirkpatrick seems very much like Jay Allen Hynek in his early days. A very nuts and bolts guy and not read into everything and non-believer for years. Okay, I want to touch on this because... We've heard the name Kirkpatrick in the past in news, and I'm very specifically talking about the article that he co-wrote with Avi Loeb. Jimmy, we spoke about this with Micah a few weeks back. That's right. And that's, that was the man that I was kind of hoping to see in the hearing today. For those that haven't read that article, the overall gist of it was Avi Loeb, Harvard professor Avi Loeb, also the creator of the Galileo Project and Kirkpatrick were stating, what if a giant mothership is pushing out smaller probes and looking at planets? 
the same thing that we would do, right? That's understandable. He co-wrote that. He put his name on that, talking about motherships and probes and drones, I should say. And then he comes over here to this hearing and says, nope, nothing. I don't know. Well, but that's on Gillibrand. Okay, you have to ask the question, right? He's not going to go, oh, by the way, I wrote this article with Avi Loeb and I'm, no. But she could have, or Ernst or somebody else, could have stepped up and said, oh, what about this article that you wrote with Avi Loeb? Where you suggest the possibility of alien motherships in our solar system that are launching probes that are investigating uh, other worlds and possibly here on Earth. You know, what, 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 what inspired you to write that article? And is there something that you know? Um, now, he, he kind of uh, threw all of that out, didn't he, uh, he did. in his opening statement when he said, I have zero evidence of E.T. And what was really weird is that at the very beginning, both Gillibrand and Kirkpatrick were stumbling over their words. They were so nervous. But this is their job. Like, this is what they do. They read papers all the time. And I couldn't comprehend why both of them were so nervous. Ernst, she was okay. She didn't have a, a huge monologue. She was kind of asking those questions. You know, nice she stumbled. Hair. Nice hair. It was, it was like, didn't even move. That was some good stuff. Nice hair. What was up with this tie chain? I don't know. See, it's not about the looks for me. It's about the words that they said or that they didn't say. But as as the hearing went on, they were a lot more confident when they weren't reading off the script and they were actually talking to one another. Um, Kirkpatrick overall was very confident. I think he did a much better job than Moultrie and Bray when he was when he received difficult questions. I, I would say he handled it a lot better than the previous hearing that we received last year. Gillibrand still killed it with her questions. I wish we had some other minds that were able to ask questions as well. Unfortunately, we only had two, three people tops asking questions, but. Yeah, well, we got our answer, though. I mean, everybody was wondering if we would be discussing E.T. today, and clearly that was not on the table. Not, I not was shocked they even used the word extraterrestrial. I was not expecting that. And they used it twice, and I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But I was pretty much saying no, no to the possibility. Christina? Behave and be well. What a great show. What did we, we do? We did two and a half hours today. Killing it. 9.30 in the morning. Got up at 6. Look, I went through a whole pot of coffee. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Behave and be well. Thank you, everybody. Uh, great, great chat. Uh, awesome everything. Uh, Christina, you've got a busy day. I've got a busy day in front of me. Um, and uh, tonight uh, is Bigfoot. Uh, tonight, Simeon Hine is going to be on the show tonight. We're going to be talking about the science behind Bigfoot sightings. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy, so thank you so much for doing this with me so early in the morning. Everybody, behave and be well. I'll see you tonight on Fade to Black. Bye. So let me ask you this. The hearing that you just watched live, 
Do you think it was really a nothing burger? Do you think it had some interesting aspects to it? Please let me know in the live chat. Please let me know in the comments. I do read all of the comments. And while for many, we might see it as like, oh, just another excuse, right? I, I wasted, you know, however many hours of my life for this. I think that if we look at the subtle nuances, the words that weren't used, the body language, there's a lot more to it than what we actually just heard. I would like to mention that today is the Skinwalker Ranch panel that's going to be that took place right here will take place right here at 2pm PST 5pm EST. We will talk about portals, space-time anomalies, and so much more. Hit the like button on the way out. Share this video and subscribe if you haven't already. There's a bunch more great shows always coming to you live. Follow me on Twitter at eyes underscore on the skies for all of my updates and news. And if you are enjoying the content that you're seeing on this channel, we do several live shows a week. Consider being a Patreon supporter. All of the funding goes straight to the channel or to the RV fund where I'll be purchasing an RV, traveling the United States, hitting all the UFO and paranormal hotspots and journaling everything. And you will be traveling along with me. That is it for today. I will see you in a few hours. Be safe. And remember, keep your eyes on the skies.